The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Welcome. If you're here visiting today for the first time, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're beginning a new set of conversations and um, surrounding the themes that are based out of that book, Soul Craving. So you, if you're visiting here for the first time, you came at a good time. You know, this, uh, in, in thinking about this book, Soul Cravings, uh, by the way, we're not doing a study out of the book, but we are going to have conversations regarding some of the themes from this book, the soul cravings. And uh, so we'll hit on the topics of intimacy and destiny and meaning. But today I wanted to talk to you in general about the idea of just cravings in general. Because I know that we can probably define or map our day out based on the cravings that we have. I'll give you an example. How many of you here, see, this will be like kind of a, now I was going to say, how many of you do smoke? Then someone like, well, I don't know. Should I raise my hand? Because I, I do. You know. How many of you here don't smoke? Let's just do that. Really? <laughs> how many of you are liars? Oh, same hand. What do you know? <laughs> but even if you don't smoke, when you go by Havana House, don't you wish you did smoke? Right? The, 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 the cigars and the tobacco. You do smoke. Don't lie to me. <laughs> and and uh, so, I mean, you want to go in there and just buy the stuff just because it seems cool. Uh, the cigar thing, the humidor, the little boxes, you know, the, and the punch or cigar, whatever you buy. Parliament cigarettes, Dunhill, perhaps, if you have a more sophisticated palate. And um, I'll tell you how retarded I am. I had a friend once said, hey, on your way down here, pick me up some clothes. And uh, I, I don't know why I zoned out. I went to three or four markets till I finally found the little Mexican market that sold clothes. The actual... <laughs> I wish I knew better, but I, I didn't at the time. And, uh, and even if you don't like coffee, and th- there's hope for you if you don't, but, but if you don't care for coffee, when you walk by or smell a, a, a bag of beans, it's like... I like this, you know. If, if it was a cologne, I would wear it. The same is true, I think, for a number of things. You just smell it, and it just so entices you. It, it, it's, you know... See, I, let me go back to smoking for just a moment. I like smoking. I did. And in fact, when people say, it was so hard to quit smoking, I don't understand that. I've done it several times. It's so easy to quit. But it's just there's that sensual little whipping curl of the, of the smoke and the crackling of the tobacco. And it's just, you know, it's sometimes after a meal after or with coffee, you know, two cravings coming together, colliding into this beautiful mystical relationship, you know. So, um, but I recall even just the other day, I, my wife asked me if I was hungry and I, I said, no, it was, it was late. It was like nine o'clock or something. And, you know, I just didn't feel like eating something heavy. And then we were driving over to get, you know, Pinkberry instead. And so uh, on the way down there, the, the smell of some broiling dead animal, like it might have been a cow, some bovine flesh on a grill somewhere. It just, it, 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 I'm hungry. You know, just the smell of it, I began to crave food. And so I did both. And uh, stomach told me I didn't crave it as much as I thought. But you know what's funny? I'm willing to bet that as most of you walked from the entrance or from the alley, you didn't crave any of the rocks. You weren't thinking about rocks this morning. Like, well, oh, I really, wow, those rocks really, look, there's so many of them. And I wish I could have a few. In fact, I'm willing to bet also this morning, I know one thing that your body absolutely craves. You have to have it. And you didn't think about it once today. Unless you have asthma. It's air. 
you so crave air that your body will react in a violent revulsion if you don't get enough of it. And those of you who have asthma, you know that feeling of you just can't get air in. Or maybe you've been wrestling or goofing off with somebody and they, they put your head under that thick wool blanket on a hot day. You just, you know, you, you, you become the Incredible Hulk and you just, you know, throw people off you just to get air. Or someone held you down in the pool when you didn't get enough air going down and you started to suck a little water in and, you know, you're craving air. It's funny that um, when we don't have our cravings met, we are well aware of it. We are, uh, we'll do anything to get our cravings met, almost. And I think that sometimes the, the challenge that happens for folks, because we do have needs and we do have cravings and our soul, like our body, has to have certain things to survive. And it's absence of those needs being met that drives us to behaviors that sometimes are unhealthy and hopefully sometimes healthy as well. When I was a, a kid, um, you know, like I told you before, I, I, I don't know, it's, I was like the boy named Sue. You know, I, I, I had a, a lot of respiratory illnesses. Um, you know, in the third grade, I was already smoking about a pack a day. I, and I never, made, I never connected the dots that maybe that had something to do with it. That just made no sense to me, you know. It was so bad that I recall when I was having the, the lung x-rays with my mom and the doctor. And, and uh, my mom left to go to the restroom for something. Dr. Carlisle walked in and, uh, you know, with that little short bob and the, the Gary Larson sunglasses. And, and she said, oh, yeah, I got your x-rays back and then you're, you're very sick. You know, you, but besides the pneumonia, you... You also smoke a lot, don't you? I, oh, I, I'm sure my eyes went like saucers because I thought, oh my gosh, if, if my mom finds out that I'm smoking, if the lung thing doesn't kill me, she will, you know. And, and uh, so anyway, I was often sick and I didn't play sports and I was always thin and, you know, and, and then my mom put me in ballet and tap dance. It was like, I was just like wearing a target going to school. And, and, uh, I, and I recall... Uh, having to take so much different kinds of medicine that make you cough, stop coughing, bring stuff up, keep stuff down, and, and just made me feel horrible. And I recall thinking, man, if this is what's supposed to make you feel better, it seems like the medicine is worse than the illness. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me because by the time I got to junior high school, I had such negative reaction with medicine and, and narcotics and you know, all that stuff. And, and then my dad with his alcohol problems and challenges that he had. So by the time I got to junior high school, the idea of taking dope or drinking had no interest to me at all. Because I remember thinking that if I begin to like this, if I begin to like drinking or dope, I won't be able to stop. And it's then I began to think about the, how people form addictions. You know, Maybe you've seen this pattern in your life. You first try something out of curiosity, and it brings a certain level of pleasure. Just the rush of doing something you're not supposed to do is fun, isn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. You know, these liars this morning. <laughs> he came to the right place. He came to church. Uh, so there, there's just there's a certain rush in doing what you're not supposed to do. Like, I remember when I didn't have a license. I think I was, again, in the seventh or eighth grade, and, and my parents all left. I was left. I think it's their own fault. They left me home alone. And my dad had just bought this souped-up Mustang. And I didn't know anything about driving. 
But I was about to find out. So I remember I started that thing out, and I went driving. I had no idea. I got honked at, flipped off, yelled at, and, and that's in the driveway. And, and, uh, and, and uh, so, you know, I, but I, I had never felt so alive, you know. I was just so energized. I'm going to do this again, you know. Then they found out. But I noticed that there, we do certain things out of curiosity and pleasure, and, and part of it is it is filling a need. It is filling a craving of our souls and our bodies. But here's what happens. It goes through that second stage where it just becomes a habit now. Some of you who, who, who do smoke or you do whatever, you start to do things almost without even thinking anymore. I recall uh, in, on a business trip, waking up in the hotel with this other fellow and I, we were working on a retail environment, and he got out of bed, uh, sat up on the edge of his bed, reached to the nightstand, and lit up. First thing in the morning. And uh, I remember teasing him. I said, dude, I knew you smoke so early in the morning. And he says, and he, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, not even aware of it anymore. And so it becomes, it goes from a curiosity where it brings pleasure, becomes part of your habit, like, you know, personal hygiene, which I'm hoping is all of your habits. And, 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 uh, but then it moves into that other stage where you're not really able to stop. You may want to stop. You have probably told yourself, oh, I need to lose some weight. I need to quit smoking. I need to cut back on this, da 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 and, and you begin to realize that you're just not able to do that anymore. Now, you won't call it an addiction because you know, oh, I'm, well, I'm able to function. I, I go to work. I vote. I'm able to dress myself. Surely this is not an addiction. Well, I don't know what else it is. When you're not able to stop something that you're doing, it's an addiction. I had dinner with some friends the other evening, and one of them was sharing about personally knew of someone who was important in his life at one time and how their life just burned down to a crisp and involved in narcotics. The years that I spent volunteering with law enforcement, I saw over and over again like 70, 80% of all the stops that we did domestic assault, robberies, break ins, accidents on the road all of it always had to do with some sort of form of either alcohol or dope. It's just a consistent theme in our culture. So it's, and it's not, you know, it's, I understand that somewhere deep down inside, that person is looking to get a need met. I get that. It's almost cliche to say so, but that's exactly what's happening. There's a, something that's either broken or or damaged or dysfunctional that, that this, even though I know it's harmful, even though I know it's, it's, it's causing relationships to break off, even though I, I, I'm more alone than I was at some level, I still need this. It's meeting a need. And so it becomes that the thing that we feed ourselves with feeds on us. And what we once enjoyed begins to entrap us. And still the cravings go on. There's a, a number of stories in the Bible, our sacred book that we hold, that are so common to the culture that uh, you don't have to be a, a Bible person to, or a Bible guy or girl to be familiar with them. If I say Adam and Eve, you guys already picture somebody in the garden, right? That's paradise. And I think that folks who think of paradise almost have a Buddhist impression of Christianity. And even followers of Christ have this Buddhist sense of their connection to God. That it is the absence of needs and wants and desires that brings 
completion and satisfies my soul. You're wrong. <laughs> you know what made paradise paradise? Every need was met. See, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if Adam didn't eat one morning, he'd be a grouchy guy by lunchtime. I'm pretty positive that the job that he had working the garden, that he had the need for rest. I'm pretty sure that Eve was thirsty and needed water and had that need met. See, that's what made paradise paradise, is that every need physically was being met, emotionally was being met, but in a very deep, deep and powerful way, spiritually they were being met as well. It's not the absence of needs. It's the meeting and the completion of those needs that makes it paradise. And at some level, all of us want to experience that garden-like experience of having our needs met. If your needs are met, it's paradise. You know, um, I'll give you a personal story, and we're going to jump into the scripture. I, I had surgery in December. It was a double hernia, which is proof that you can get a hernia without doing anything. Lifting nothing heavier than a pencil. Ah! Got to keep writing. And, uh, you know, so it wasn't really life-threatening. It was inconvenient, but it was not life-threatening at any level. And uh, I, I was, uh, I, I enjoyed the whole experience, you know. You're, you're wheeled in, you know, you're wearing these very comfortable clothes, and they give you blankies, and, and everyone's paying attention to you, and then they shave you, and, uh, you know, hey. <laughs> At least give me your first name, and and uh, and you go. Through, it was, but it was a very unusual experience, you know. You're being handled and touched by people you rarely know. You just met. Hello, I'm the doctor, and you're, hey, okay, all right, you know, cool. But it was fun. I actually thought it was kind of interesting. And then they give you the stuff, the juice, the magic serum, you know. Okay, count backwards from. Blah, blah, blah. I, I, I didn't remember anything else other than just coming out of the room. And I thought we had. I just. I really thought we had just turned the corner. But I can tell you honestly that. At that moment, when I woke up in the recovery room, um, there was no pain whatsoever. You know, you're still under the medication and all. And I, I, I'm not sure why the absence of every sensation just made it so clear to me how much I craved two people. Two people came to mind. The first person was Lilia. And I began thinking how much I loved her and how much I still love her. And just, this might be the narcotics talking, but I was just so aware of how much I love my wife in, that, in those moments of lying there. Now, the, the staff was wonderful. The people were very kind. They were very warm and genuine people caring about you and how you're doing. But I just recall thinking, the only person I want to see right now is my wife. The second person I was aware of that I craved was God. There was something about knowing that the little knowledge that I have about how our bodies work and what they were doing and what they were repairing and all that just seemed how marvelous he has designed us. How incredible to have gifted individuals to be trained in the medical arts to to fix and repair things in the body that the body actually regenerates itself. And I'm, you know, just tripping out on all the stuff that our bodies do. And I began to sense, I know that you're a spirit who lives and attached to my spirit, but I just really want to sense you. And the more I wanted 
craved God, it led me to, to crave my wife. And the more I've been thinking about my wife, it made me crave God. And I just, it just was like an echoing loop that just kept going back and forth in my mind. And uh, it was a very almost mystical, powerful moment of being aware that I had these absolute, undeniable cravings that in his kindness he met. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2 for just a moment. Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And by the way, this ought to tell you right off the bat that work is not a curse. God gave Adam a job, something to do. You know what's funny? It's sometimes in the midst of our activity and jobs and life, we discover what we really want. I almost think it's such a, an unfair pressure we put on young te- you know, teenagers entering the college to declare their major for life. So what do you want to do the rest of your life? You're, you're freaking 18. How do you know? What, do you know what you want to do that weekend? You know, I, I grew up wanting to be a priest and then they wanted to do one thing after the other. Going to be a chef like my father. Going to do this. And of course, you know, the exotic dancer. And they went on and on. And some dreams still live. And... and, and uh, and, you know, at 50, I'm still thinking, you know, I really would like to do... Uh, I mean, how do you know what you want to do at 18? At any rate. So verse 16, and, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a, helpful, a helper suitable for him. And so... The Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So what happened? Well, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh and then the Lord God made a woman from that rib and he taken out a man and he brought her to the man how many of you when you think of the story you, you think of you know here comes an animal Adam says rhino <laughs> giraffe mosquito mm, see I, I tend to think it was Bob Soshi because he was Hispanic. And then, uh, you know, uh, Larry, you know, and Dwayne. And, you know, I, I tend to think he named the animals. But that's just me because I don't get out much. I want you to notice how the, the, the story went, though. God says, you know what? It just, it, it's really not good for this guy to be alone. So I'm going to give him somebody to help him out. Somebody that matches and fits him. And then he gives him something to do. Because he needed to help. Adam needed to know that he needed someone you follow? It wasn't as a, an afterthought. Boy, you know, God's thinking, I need to make somebody for Adam. Hey, let's, but in the meantime, let me give him something to do. It's, I need to have, Adam needs somebody. And the way to help him know he needs somebody is that I'm going to give him something to do alone. He's going he's to get the picture and understand it. And even still, he had to knock him out to make it happen, right? A friend of mine the other day was asking him, uh, how, how do you get married? <laughs> Oh, well, you go to the justice of the peace? He says, no, 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 I know all that. You know, I mean, how do you know it's the person? And, 
I said, oh, well, that's easy. You know, there's always a little mark on the forehead you can see. And then, you know, I said, you know, bro, if you can talk to this person all night long and it doesn't degenerate into sex, you have the basis probably for a marriage because when you're married, you're going to talk more than you're, than you're going to have sex. Now, I know you might be thinking the other way around, but honestly, that's not how it works. All you single guys are saying, dang it, then what's the purpose? <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> And then, so the next question, pause, he's processing that, da, 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 da. what do you talk about? Really? This is what you're asking me? And we, we talked about this a little bit further, and, and he began to realize that there was something, he said, you know, watching you and Lilia, I realized, I like the idea of marriage. What do you guys talk about? You're so different. And, and I said, well, thanks for noticing. You know, that's, you're on your way. And viva la difference. I said, bro, if, if you're going to marry somebody that's just like you, then stay single. Do yourself a favor and do them a favor. Part of a marriage and a relationship is actually coming out of yourself a little bit and meeting the other. Not the same, not marrying a mirror image of yourself. It's interesting how um, as our cravings seem to bubble up, begin to poke around and ask. Got to get them met. Sometimes it seems through our lives as we move on with our lives, instead of I'll give you a tip, by the way. If those of you who are thinking of getting married, stop looking for the right person. Because uh, I'm telling you right now, there is no right person. There is no right person for you. Everybody else is screwed up just like you. Everybody is screwed up like you. They may be screwed up a little differently, but they're screwed up. Be the right person. You know, grow up. Grow up. Check your character. I mean, ask your friends, what is it, what is it like to experience me? Wow. You're an idiot. You know, I guess. <laughs> In other words, that, you know, we're podcasting. So, uh, the, I mean, you know, check yourself. You know, I mean, you need to do some moral inventory because you might be bringing into this relationship something horrible. And, and I understand that, that, it, that sometimes we have the sense that when I get married, I'm going to be so fulfilled on so many levels because they're going to meet all my needs. And we have that Jerry Maguire sense of romance. That, you know, you know, you complete me. Lies, lies, all lies. You know what I don't think Adam was doing, walking around thinking, I need something, I just don't know what it is. What is it that I need, you know? No, it's not coffee. No, no, what do I need? I need somebody. You know why? Because he was connected to God in a way that we don't even understand. The guy talked to God like he was talking to his buddy. I mean, he was complete physically, he was complete emotionally, he was complete spiritually. And when you're that person, then you're bringing something to the table. See, the miracle isn't two broken people who become one. The miracle is two people who are holes to become one. That's the miracle. That's the meaning of it. Otherwise, you're just clawing and grabbing and hoping the other person fulfills you. And you are giving a mortal being and the impossible task of fulfilling you. Because you and I as living spirits are designed by the spirit. The everywhere spirit. And the needs that we have on our souls, the cravings, that, 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 that itch that's got to be scratched is only met by God. Relationships are the icing on the cake. And sometimes we think, if I can get away from these bad relationships my friends, my family, my different communities, and I get married, then I'll be great. You know, I tend to think that if all this blows, 
you're taking all that negative momentum into that relationship. And if you can have a relationship with the same sex that doesn't degenerate into, into, into sex, you're developing the skills to stay married. So Adam, naming the animals, naming his crew, his posse, and God puts him into a deep sleep and brings somebody into him life as well. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4 for just a moment. Talk a little bit further about cravings. Matthew 4. We just finished uh, looking at this book for several months on the Thursday night Bible studies we had. and We discovered how there's a very distinctive Jewish flavor to this book. It's um, written almost exclusively to a Jewish audience. It's focused on the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's terminology. So Jesus has another moment like Old Testament prophets and goes out into a desert experience. And um, see, here's what's funny to us, I, I think, to me, that, that when it says that he didn't eat for 40 days, you know, we don't feel it. Do you? Right. Those of you who are married, wives, you know how it is when your husband doesn't eat for one meal? <laughs> yeah, we are so predictable. My wife knows if I'm not, if I have any, honey, you know, do, I, do I need to feed you? You know, here's something real fast, you know, keeps candy on the side. Here you go, shut up. You know, and, and, and sometimes we get busy, we don't eat, and we're just grouchy, and, and, and whatever. But, but see, I think we think of Jesus not eating for 40 days. Is that, well, that was just Jesus. He wasn't really feeling it. You know, that's, that's Jesus hungry. It's not like 40 days for a person not to eat. No, no. It's 40 days that a human being wasn't eating. And, you know, go outside in a desert environment to feel the dry air, lack of water, and don't eat for 40 days and try to rest out there. And you know how headachy you can get and how funky you can get and how lethargic we can get and how clouded our thinking can become because I really think this conversation between him and the evil one was not the evil one right here standing in front of him but it was processing in, our, in his mind just like it is for us, oddly enough, because he was fully human. And you know how you are when you're tired and when you're hungry and when you're in a funky mood or when you're sick. You begin to doubt everything, don't you? Things don't feel right, seem right. And there's even that momentary weirdness where we wonder, can it ever feel right again? So I, I want you to feel that when Jesus was not eating for 40 days, he was not eating for 40 days. So let's, let's, uh, let's read the story. So then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I, I think if we're guilty of anything as followers of Christ, that we, we so spiritualize everything to the point that it's almost meaningless to our lives. Because here's what it's not saying. I'm telling you that if, if, if it's time for us to eat, and my wife and I are either going to go out or she's going to make something at home, it never crosses her mind and it never crosses my mind to say, you know what, we could eat or we could just read the Bible. Because then if we read the Bible, I won't be hungry anymore. Am I, am I right? Can I get a witness? None of you guys ever think that. 
But somehow we made that like that's the ideal. Like, you see, you see the, the body is so unimportant that if we just feed our spirits, even hunger is suppressed. No, not so much. That's not what's being said here. Something actually a little more is being said here. There's no... First of all, let's, let's, let's go back a few. Put this in context. I think I hopefully painted a picture for you of what that must have felt like for him. I mean, you know, the, when you see the images of people who haven't eaten, whether they're from our country or other countries in the nation or other continents, you know, the, the weight loss that occurs, the, you know, you, you have to picture Jesus is not doing well right now. And whatever moments he's having in the desert in, 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 in connecting to God, there's a battle in his mind. And there's no temptation if there isn't a craving. See, I know some people, and, and there's, there's hope for them, they don't care for coffee. You can, you can hold a bag of beans under their nose, nothing, flatline. I don't trust them. I don't want them to vote. So what's the first thing that this evil one, this, this enemy of ours, what does he bring to him? Two things. His identity and his physical need. Which tells me something about what he's processing in his head. Now, I don't know. You know, I, obviously, we can never know. And theology students are going to argue this till the day we all go away. But have you ever wondered, when did Jesus know? When did you know what you knew? You know, do you think he was in his crib writing parables down? Oh, that's going to be clever. Oh, they're going to love this one. Was he at 12 years old, the temple? And he mentioned, I need to be about my father's business. Was there sort of a bit of an enlightenment, a little bit of awakening coming up? Was it at this point in his life, tradition tells us about 30, after his baptism and his, this powerful moment in the water with his cousin John? Was it happening here in the desert? Was it being revealed to him then? What was going on? Something about what this enemy sent to him resonated and he knew. If you are the son of God. Why don't you just make that bread, these rocks? Now, I want you to understand something here. That that, that would not have been a temptation unless there's an absolute craving to have this need met. So maybe there was two going on. The need to understand if he really is who he's beginning to understand he is, I can't make that happen. The second thing is, of course, the, the incredible physical need for food. And then he says that, he, you know, quoting out of Deuteronomy. Um, and by the way, in all these instances, he's quoting out of the book of Deuteronomy, which I thought was interesting. And, and here's what I have to tell you, that that bread alone would not physically satisfy us unless God designs that to happen. I, I know that sounds simple, but I want to drive this home. Bread alone is not going to satisfy you physically unless God has designed us to be satisfied by food. And so when he says, we live off the words of God, what he's saying is that unless he's designed me and made me to be satisfied by certain things, it's this what you're offering me. What you're tempting me to do is not going to cut it. We live by the words of God. What he has dictated 
for us, to, how we function, how we work, in our physical bodies, and our souls, those needs that we have, He has met them. I'll give you the, I'll give you the easy one. And, and this is not about, oh, how naughty, but it, it's just the reality. I understand that most of us have done something sexually in the desperate search for love and acceptance. You know that. I know that. Just to feel some sort of connection with another human being, some sort of intimacy, some sort of relationships, some sort of anything. And, 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 and then we walk away from that moment, or as soon as the moment is over, you've never felt more alone. Besides naked. I mean physically, literally, and figuratively. Because sex by itself is not meant to meet the need of relationship. By itself. Water by itself won't meet the needs of thirst unless God designs it that, that way. And yet we have a kind God who doesn't just create tofu and soy, but garnesada, pad thai, you know, I mean, so many wonderful exotic foods and spices and creative people who can blend, you know. Aren't you glad for the Europeans? Besides world domination, they brought the tomato to the new world. Right? I mean, you could speak about the evils of the Roman Empire, but they, they brought pasta. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all bad. Because we have a need for food, physical needs, there's, there's food. Because we have a need for relationships, there's family and there's friends and there's communities. And because we are living spirits, that needs are met by a connection to God himself. And see, I think that's where some of us maybe miss it. I don't care if you call yourself a follower or you're not a follower or you're even just wondering, I, I think there's something going on. I'll, I'll go check out what my friend says at this church, but I don't even know. I, I get that, man. I'm glad that you're here. But understand that if you're not convinced that God can meet your needs, you're going to resort to eating rocks figuratively. Because you will want, in fact, you will not not have that need met somehow. You will fill that need. You will fill the craving of your soul. Period. You know why life can be good? Because God can satisfy every single soul craving that we have. But if you try to satisfy it yourself, I, I want you to understand this and get that picture in your head. When you walk out of here and you see the rocks on the ground, if you're in the alley walking out and you see some rocks or pebbles, understand that every single time that you look for a way to satisfy your deepest soul craving without God that you are eating rocks speaking of Deuteronomy let's go there Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 Moses is talking or if you've seen the movie Charles and Heston and um, okay now I've got to update my jokes hold on a second let's change that one verse 2 remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years why well, to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his words, his commands. And he humbled you by causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Well, what else did he do? Well, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a person, as a man disciplines his son, 
so the Lord your God disciplines you. Drop down to verse 10. And when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, I want you to go up to verse 3 for just a moment. Take a look at that for a second. Understand that some of you are probably experiencing a very dry or it seems like a deserty moment in your life. Maybe it's almost all you've known. And, it, and at a very real level, the needs are becoming intensified to drive you to him. It's not he doesn't care, so he's not taking care of me. It's that, no, because I care for you, I wish to even intensify this craving that you have. I will, if I need to, humble you to the point that this is all you can do is to reach out and connect to me so that I can completely fulfill you and satisfy your deepest soul cravings. And this is what he was driving for these folks as a nation. And this is what he continues to drive us as individuals at many times. And so if you're in this place where you're wondering, why I have these itches that can't be scratched, I have these cravings that are not being met, and whatever they might be, in the end... It's out of God's kindness for you and love for you that he's driving this into you deeper. But verse 10 is the other reality. We just have a tendency to forget that it was him that met those needs and satisfied our deepest soul cravings. We are created by God for God. Let me back up a little bit. How many of you... When you were with that person or you were doing that thing, you felt really alive, like you were the best version of yourself until it went south. And you felt like you were the worst version of yourself. You follow? See, understand that God is not trying to make us all homogenous. But he's trying to make us the best version of ourselves at how we were all individually uniquely designed and created. And, and, and believe it or not, we were meant to experience his pleasure. To actually be infused and energized in our souls by his joy. And that that would release the best version of ourselves when we are connected to him through Jesus Christ. Everything else is rocks. Now, this isn't to say that somehow... You know, food isn't good. Relationships are not healthy. This is enhancements to everything. Because when I'm the right person, when I am the best version of myself, connected to God, the things that I do, the people I'm with, the relationships I'm in, seem to just enhance what's already good in my life. We are designed by God as living spirits to be connected to God, the eternal spirit. You are primarily a spiritual being having a physical experience. It's not the other way around. Let's go to the last verse here, Genesis 3, 1 through 5. We're going to close with this classic story. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Really? And the woman said to the serpent, no, we can eat from the trees in the garden, but he did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not even touch it or you'll die. And verse 4, this is the lie, this is it. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. What are you talking about? Don't you understand that he's withholding from you? Don't you understand he doesn't want you to be happy? 
He's lying to you. You don't need him. You need to figure out for yourself what is good for you. Kind of leans in. Dude, I'm so telling you, you're not going to die. For God knows that when you eat, of the, your eyes are going to be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, this is the thing that's funny about this. They already knew good. I mean, they were in the garden for crying out loud. Tell me more about this evil I need to know about as she strokes her imaginary beard. This is the one... If there is one thing God through Christ is trying to help us is avoid this mistake because we buy into this goofy lie every single time. We think that to be fulfilled as people, to be the best version of what we could possibly be, that I need to not listen to what God has to say. That somehow, I'm going to put this... How many of you, when you were kids, you knew your parents were holding out on you? Right? You knew. You knew your parents. They had that secret room that you were forbidden to go in there, which had to be the mysteries of all the world. My father collected guns, and he told me, you, you know, I, I don't want you playing with these things, you know. But, hey, he left me in the house alone. And I would go searching for that revolver and the bullets. And I would load it and spin it. And I, I wanted to click it. Of course, I didn't. But I, I was so... The, the, the fact that it was denied, you know, I had, I had this insatiable need for it. <laughs> I recall when the kids were little, uh, my wife had this commitment to making them a hot meal for breakfast every single morning. And so we didn't even have cereal in the house for a while. Because, like I said, you know, we were a homeschooling family, just, just one light bulb away from being Amish. And, uh, you know, no zippers, no buttons, because I was proud. But, but, but I had Captain Crunch, and I had it stashed. So I was absolutely holding out on my kids. Yeah, that's good for you, that oatmeal, no sugar, you know. I would, I would just kind of look up Captain Crunch, man, come on, just look up Captain Crunch, man, come on, help me out. So I was totally holding out on my kids, man. Then they found my stash. See, I think some of you really believe that God's got the Captain Crunch. But you think somehow that he's holding back from you. Now, here's what I want you to understand. He wants to give you his, your life. You don't have to go searching for him. He's been looking for you. You don't need to move towards him. He's been moving towards you. He's not far away somewhere. That fix right here, this moment. He cares about you. He loves you. He's got your best in mind to fulfill you and satisfy every soul craving you have to make you the best version of who you possibly could be. So now here's what I'm going to ask you. For the next five weeks, we're going to have conversations regarding soul cravings. We're going to talk about some maybe uncomfortable subjects regarding intimacy and, and meaning and destiny. But I, I'm going to invite you to continue with me in these conversations and to invest a few bucks, buy the book, read it, have conversations, talk about this. And I'll even ask you to do one more thing that's a little dangerous. And, and, and this, it is kind of dangerous in, this, in the sense that you will be screwed up for life if you, if you don't respond. I'm asking you to consider talking to the God that you think even might exist. Because if he's not there, it doesn't matter. You lose nothing. But if he is there, he'll answer you. And when you hear his voice, you'll know clearly that it's him speaking to you. The challenge is that if you choose not to respond, you'll forever understand that you walked away from the love of your life. And everything else will be rocks for life.
So if you'll join me in this, you'll come out the best version of yourself. Let me pray with you and we'll dismiss. Our Father, in heaven, you are close to us and yet you're also transcendent. And what I pray is for folks who feel outside, they would sense you drawing them in. And help us who claim to know you, connect to you, allowed to be embraced by you. So I pray for all of us this morning. We all, we're all goofy. We're all hypocrites in transition. We talk a good game of what we believe life should be and then we live differently. Help us in our feebleness and our weakness and our goofiness because we really want to be embraced by you. To have our deepest cravings met and satisfied by you and you alone. And so I pray for myself first. Help me connect to you. Sense your presence. Heal my soul. Help me be the person you have meant me to be. And help my friends in this community be who they're meant to be by healing their souls. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.